In this episode, ECRM Senior Vice President of Retail Wayne Bennett and Tom Furphy, CEO of Consumer Equity Partners, discuss the growing importance and growth of e-commerce in today's retail environment and how auto replenishment capabilities can help grow basket size, create supply chain efficiencies, and drive shopper loyalty. Tom also provides some insights into technology's role in retail's future and what strategic areas retailers and suppliers should be exploring for the post-COVID-19 world. Enjoy. All right. So, hey, everyone. This is Wayne Bennett. Uh, I'm joined today with Tom Furthy from Replenium. Uh, many out there in the viewing audience may know Tom. Um, but let me just tell you a little bit about Tom. Tom is a C-level leader with real experience in both uh, online and brick-and-mortar retailers, uh, has worked in private equity, consulting, and is a board member to companies in the industry. And I'm real honored to have the conversation with you today, Tom. Um, it was recently brought to my attention, uh, your company, Replenium. Uh, and I know you're in the auto replenishment application business. And, I, and I'm just curious to know a little bit about what is Replenium? Uh, you know, how is, how is it created and, and what inspired you to do that? Yeah, no, thanks. And thanks for having me, Wayne. Um, so it really goes back all the way back to 2005. Uh, I was fortunate to uh, come into Amazon and get to lead up all of Amazon CPG businesses. Yep. And, um, you know, as we were building those businesses through the, you know, kind of mid 2000 decade, um, we developed a set of capabilities around shopping automation. So think of things like subscribe and save, things of things like Dash, you know, and those types of, and then the, uh, also the automated recommendations uh, that happen on Amazon, mm -hmm. right? These are a bunch of capabilities that are designed to not only sell things, but to help people buy things. And that's kind of a famous Jeff Bezos quote, right? And so as we built these things at Amazon, we were, it, we, we recognized that shoppers loved it. Like it became quickly, of, uh, in a lot of cases, a majority of our business. Uh, mm -hmm. was running through these capabilities. Um, you know, folks folks love to set it and forget it, you know, know that Amazon is taking care of these products for them. Mm -hmm. And so we built a really big business. I mean, inside Amazon today, it's it's a, what would that be, nine, it'd be an 11-figure business inside Amazon today. So north right. of $10 billion just in this, in this stuff. And so after being at Amazon for a bunch of years, building and running these things, um, a bunch of folks that were on the team there that built subscribe and save and some of these says, you know, as successful as this is at Amazon, the rest of the world should have something like this. And um, we learned a lot from what we did there. And then we set out and, and, uh, and built Replenium to do what Amazon does, but ideally do it better and do it for everyone. Great. And so like, um, what, what are you seeing today, Tom, in terms of like, why is this now becoming so important to the retailers in the marketplace? Obviously, we have uh, a surge in online sales, and it's going to transform retail at its core. And but what are you seeing uh, in terms of the trends for an auto replenishment application today now more than ever? And, and what is the business opportunity for that? Yeah, you know, today I think we have a few things. Well, we have, and recently, many more things coming together to uh, to make now be the time for this. You know, at its core, um, auto replenishment relies on machine learning, right? Auto replenishment is there's a set of algorithms that that work in the background that help shoppers 
um, that are smart enough to help shoppers uh, predict and understand when they're due to replenish things. Like just an example, in, in a household or even for an individual, you can learn how much toothpaste a family should use based on the cubic centimeters of toilet paper it goes through. Now, if you're toilet paper hoarding, it doesn't mean you're going to go toothpaste hoarding. Um, but, uh, but, you know, there's a relationship between these products, right? So if we can tell across a large number of customers that based on whatever toilet paper usage, we expect, you know, a certain type of toothpaste usage and then a certain type of deodorant usage and then, you know, a certain type of hair care usage. And we can, we can begin through machine learning models uh, over large amounts of data, you know, be able to determine when these things are due to be replenished. And if you put good shopper tools on top of that, right? So creating good visibility for shoppers as to when this stuff is coming up, helping them push things out, pull things in, you know, be, be, to be, um, you know, reimbursed sooner, giving them recommendations, right, around uh, products they should be using if they're not buying them from that, uh, currently from that retailer. You can ultimately provide a lot of value for the shopper, right? I mean, when the when the grocery store or the center store of a of a of a of a mass merchant was 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 devised, you know, decades ago, it provided a great service to shoppers, right? To put all these products in one place to enable them to walk up and down the aisles and easily fill their basket. Right. Really, what what's happening now is machine learning is giving us this next generation of convenience for this type of shopping. Right. We can, we can leverage this data to you know bring some logic around shopping for these things. We can save you know, the waiting through thousands of products to get to the products you want. We can, in a physical store and in a, on an online uh, environment, we can save you from scrolling through, you know, pages of search results to find the products you want or going back through your past purchases to find the products, mm -hmm. right? We'll know, we know roughly when you should be ready for that next stick of deodorant. And, you know, that should, that, that deodorant product should raise its hand and say, I'm ready to drop in your basket now and you have a really easy capability um, to manage that. So we think that the time is right with all of these things coming together. And then of course, you know, with, with recent events, we're seeing even a further surge, uh, in e-commerce, which, um, which puts even more kind of burden on the shopper, uh, in their e-commerce environment, but also of course creates all kinds of, of strife and variability to the retailer, right? I've got these big amounts of volumes going through this new channel now. Well, the nice thing about auto replenishment is, you know, it enables you, not only does the, the shopper have predictability and can see out in the future of what they're going to be replenishing, but the retailer gets to see that as well. So it helps sure. them with all kinds of things. Sure. So, you know, uh, you know, Tom, being on the forefront of the whole uh, replenishment uh, application, you know, coming from your days at Amazon, I'm curious to know, ex-Amazon, clearly as the leader, what, what is the prevalence of auto replenishment technology ability in today's e-commerce world? That's a good question. You know, it's still quite nascent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at Amazon for them, you know, auto replenishment encompasses the whole range of things like subscribe and save, you know, dash reordering. Uh, they have yep. a dash replenishment service, which is IOT, right? You have Alexa voice uh, reordering. You have Alexa reorder prompt. People probably don't even know that exists. Uh, but Alexa will remind you that you're due to replenish something that you had bought bought previously. Yeah. So collectively, Amazon looks at all of this stuff together, and that's you know kinds of its suite of shopping automation or auto replenishment. Uh, of those capabilities on the market, you'll see 
there's some level of product subscription out there. I mean, clearly something like a Dollar Shave Club, you know, if it's a, if it's a kind of uh, purpose-based, you know, uh, subscription platform, there's a bunch of those out there. Right. Um, there are it's some retailers that have basic ripping. subscription capabilities, yeah. right? Sign up for a product, have it delivered to you uh, on a cadence. And those are fine. That's all part of, of the larger uh, equation. But really for auto replenishment, it's about enabling larger swaths of purchases coming into your home to be automated, to really relieve burdens, right? Dollar Shave Club is great because you know your shaving is taken care of, but you still have to shop otherwise for all your other needs where auto replenishment enables you to shop for many, many needs, you know, with the same retailer if they're doing that. So it is still very nascent. Um, and from our standpoint, we've been building the technology for a handful of years, really just releasing it to the market now. Right. Um, and so, while we don't see a lot of it out there now, we do see a lot of interest and a lot of retail adoption of that happening now. So I think if we look back a year from now, I think it'll be a it'll be a best practice and a widely practiced practice across you know across you know the better in class at least retailers. So that's interesting, Tom. So I'm I'm curious then to note like from where we are today in terms of usage of auto replenishment application or there or some variant of what what is the demographics uh shopper demographics looking like uh as as a pathway as auto replenishment pathway uh of that consumer what, what does that look like today that's a that's a great question um and i think that's one of the things at amazon that most impressed us even in the early days uh of subscribe and save and, and ultimately the other auto replenishment is it really cross demographics? And that was, again, really surprising. There are a lot of entry points to it, like wherever you are in your kind of life cycle um, of being a consumer, whatever your demographics are, you may enter uh, through different places, right? You might be a new mom. You might be looking to solve diapering and formula needs and whatnot. And, and so this is a great service for you to get into that. But as a mom, while you're in there, you might realize, wow, I can get my beauty care through here. I can get my other personal care through here. Oh, I can take care of my home. Right, getting things like floor cleaner and surface cleaners and wipes and, and all that stuff, right? So, you know, you could be uh, an older couple, you know, getting their coffee uh, through there or maybe their vitamins or, you know, other kind of elder care items because a lot of that is on regimen. Um, you know, you may be a diabetic and you may have a certain diet or you may have certain supplies, you know, that you need to, you need to restock. So there's a whole range of kind of life states and demographic states that, um, uh, that work for this. Any... Anybody that buys stuff on a regular basis, um, this, this really does work for. So we've been really impressed with the, with the range of demographics. You know, it's really interesting because uh, in reading some materials uh, before this interview, uh, Tom, it was, uh, I like the way you guys framed up the notion that uh, order replenishment is sort of the next stage of loyalty of retailer and consumer loyalty. I, I really like the way that was framed up and you took us through the stages of loyalty, mm -hmm. loyalty 1.0 and, and this is now loyalty 4.0. What, 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 can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Um, shopper loyalty, right, it has historically come down to the collection and use of shopper data, ideally in ways that reward that shopper for their loyalty to you, right, as a retailer. Reward them for the dollars that they spend with you for the trips that they make uh, to your stores. And we do see, you know, retailers have a broad range of the, of, the, of the data that they capture on their customers, right? We've got some retailers that may not be awesome retailers that have a trove of data. 
We also have lots of retailers that are very good retailers, very good merchants. Their customers love them and they don't collect data, right? So there's kind of a range out there of what we have from a data standpoint. But the way we've, the way we've defined uh, the phases of loyalty are basically, you know, you can go back and I was at Wegmans way back in the day. I mean, I can go back to 19, probably 90 or 91 when we started Shoppers Club, you know, a card-based program. Mm -hmm. And so you go, you think back to the early days of card-based programs, they were about allowing you to get a discount for being a cardholder, right. right? So there's a there's a shelf price, there's a discounted price. I get that discount if I if I'm a cardholder. That evolved. That was loyalty 1.0. Loyalty 2.0 took that another to another level and basically said we can actually personalize your discounts based on your own historical shopping behavior, right? So we can either give you a discount to reward you for something you've consistently bought. We can give you um, a discount to incent you to maybe shop a new category. Um, you know, we can use that to deliver something specific to you. Um, so that, that was loyalty 2.0. Loyalty 3.0, we've, we've seen maybe over the last handful of years, and that takes it another level further and can introduce things like, you know, geo-targeting, right? I know that you're entering my store. Uh, I can give you a discount, you know, here and now based on, you know, inventory awareness based on the time of the day, based on maybe other preferences or behaviors that you're exhibiting to me kind of real time, right? So that's loyalty 3.0. We think loyalty 4.0, which is what we consider auto replenishment to be, really taking that one more step further, right? Not only can we provide you good pricing and good value based on your, your purchase behaviors, uh, but we can also help you by leveraging the data that you've provided us and it could be because you've been a shopper for us for a long period of time and we've collected that data. Mm -hmm. It could also be because you're a new e-commerce shopper of ours and you've filled a basket or two, or you start to fill a basket and we say, well, what about this category? What about that category? So you don't have to base it on a lot of historical data uh, to be effective, but it's really about, you know, leveraging that, that data and helping people shop, right? Suggesting them the products that they really need enabling them to put those products on a, uh, on a replenishment regimen that works well for them and then building that up over time so that large swaths of their purchases, you know, become automated and they get rewarded for that loyalty with the assistance uh, of the retailer. Um, and then uh, also, you know, in, in many cases, preferred value or discounts, you know, in return for declaring their loyalty to that retailer and those products. Yeah, great. And so, you know, in today's world right now, Tom, there's, uh, there's really been a whole financial uh, upset of the retailer operation because of whether it's the cost to keep the shoppers safe in store, their employees safe in store. Many retailers are hiring people for, uh, for incremental, you know, in-store service, delivery, things like that. So I, I'm curious to know, you know, in terms of the auto replenishment opportunity, and so what are the economics? Yeah. What are the economics of auto replenishment, and, and why is that important for the retailer? Yeah, uh, that, that's, a, that's a, another very good question. Um, you know, e-commerce was a higher cost-to-serve model than stores even before all the latest events, right? And, of course, our latest events have just exacerbated that. Um, and, you know, even back in the Amazon days, right, we had a relatively higher cost to serve model um, 
you know, based on the unique, the uniqueness of a direct consumer supply chain, right? If you're going to take inventory, assemble it and get it to someone, whether it's through a common carrier or through local delivery, that's going to add cost to it. Um, yeah. The economics of auto replenishment work, and we think this is really important, yeah. um, is that, uh, first of all, we don't charge much for the service. Um, I don't know any service provider would say that, but uh, to, uh, to just kind of frame up like what it could look like in a transaction for a retailer. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, if I'm a grocery retailer and I'm selling a $100 basket of goods, right, to an e-commerce customer, within that basket, I might have $40 of replenishable uh, items in there, right? Yeah. So 60 are like one-time transactions, maybe some fresh products, you know, dinner tonight, um, and then 40 bucks might be uh, replenishable stuff. You know, that, that cost of that whole transaction to the retailer uh, will usually come out under a dollar, um, you know, well under a dollar. Uh, so it's, you know, it's relatively inexpensive for the value um, that's derived. And the value that's derived is the retailer gets larger baskets, right? Because the replenishable products are basically preloaded into the basket. The shopper has tools available to them to move stuff around, you know, to pull stuff forward, push stuff out. Um, and that's easy for them. Uh, but they get bigger baskets, they get, uh, you know, better repeat uh, and retention because, you know, as a, as a shopper, I have my replenishable goods with you as a retailer. You know, when those things come due to replenish, uh, I'm going to prompt, uh, you know, you to, to place an order. Um, either I'm going to automatically place the order or I'm going to load up a basket and say, you know, finish this uh, shopping trip. And we have capabilities that sit within there called uh, harmonization, which basically you know, think about if in your house you have 50 items on auto replenishment, right? The, the replenishment date of those is going to fall all over the place, right? You're going to have out of 30 days in a month and 50 products on replenishment, you probably have 15 or 20 days during the month that stuff will be due to be replenished. We're not going to bug you 15 or 20 times during the month to say you got to go pick up your deodorant, right? What we're going to do is we're going to group them into logical groupings that are easy to manage, uh, help drive the economics of the basket for the retailer, right? So we can get it over, you know, certain thresholds. Um, like I said, we provide inventory visibility for the retailer in that case. We can help them with labor planning and scheduling. Because these are replenishment orders, we know that they're due um, further in advance than an on-demand transaction, so I can plan labor accordingly. Um, it allows us to better use as a retailer our promotional funds, right? We can take funding for manufacturers, channel it down to the products uh, and, the, and the customers that are most loyal to, you know, us as a retailer and, and you as a brand. And so there's a lot of economic value that's, that's driven out of, out of having this, you know, great value for the customer, great value for the retailer, and ultimately really good value for the brand as well. Yeah, so that, that's really a good, uh, a good follow-up, uh, Tom. Is so, like, explain to me how now this, what are the benefits for the suppliers? Because the suppliers are on the other side of this. Obviously, I see this uh, as an opportunity for the larger CPG brands, but also maybe share a little bit how, how auto rep replenishment could be a value to a smaller niche mm -hmm. uh, emerging or challenger brand. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, it, there's, there's a few different ways that brands can leverage uh, auto replenishment, and, and we really kind of bucket it into three ways. One is through direct-to-consumer. Right. Lots of brands would love to be direct to consumer. Everybody wants to be Dollar Shave Club. Sure. Right. Everybody would love to go direct to consumer if they can. Right. You get a relationship with your shopper. You, you know, you leverage that data and that relationship to, 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 uh, 
you know, to build a, a commercial relationship with them. And that's awesome. But not, not all brands can do that, right? Um, they might not have the supporting infrastructure. They might not have the, um, uh, you know, their products may not have the economics, right? Uh, you know, shipping a, 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 a case of paper towels, uh, you know, direct to consumers often not going to work very well. Um, but we, so, but, but if you're a challenger brand, and you're, you're, you're upcoming and you don't have a lot of retail distribution, it's a great way to go to market, of course, to direct to consumer. And if you're a replenishable type of product, having this capability uh, is really important. We work with lots of brands from early challenger stage to older stage. So direct to consumer is one. There's another way that we call brand to retailer. So where the brands are merchandising their products or marketing their products to the consumer. So say on a brand website, right? Or perhaps you know, within an ad somewhere where the, where the, where the shopper sees that, sees that product, they can click on interact with that product and then build a replenishment regimen that drops down to their favorite retailer, right? So an example is I can go on to Brita and look, and look up replacement filters at Brita yeah. and I can find the, the right filter for my pitcher and I can say, you know, and it's recommended that I, you know, I get a two pack of these every three months and I click on it and I sign up for it and I drop it into my basket at Target. Um, so in this, in this case, you know, Clorox and Brita get a great, um, get the great benefit of working with the shopper. The shopper gets the convenience of not having to think about it again. And it's there for them in the replenishment regimen uh, at Target uh, when they're, when they're, you know, when they're ready for it. And then third is working with retailers, right? So retailers can light up auto replenishment for anything that's in their assortment. Right. So in this case, if I'm Brita, um, you know, I can build programs with the retailer to, um, to prompt shoppers to get their Brita replacement filters from you. Um, and I can fund into that, right? I can fund a discount into that. Um, I can also support you running the program uh, as a retailer. So we're seeing in a lot of cases, you know, brands are actually willing to cover the retailer's cost, uh, you know, of offering auto replenishment because they get so much benefit. Uh, of it and yeah. you know as long as information shared back you know these are the these are the customers the types of customers you know that are buying your stuff and you know establish that relationship uh that can be really good and then when Brita comes out with a new picture comes out with a new type of filter you know they can work down through the retailers and say hey we've got a new product coming out you know you loyal customer you know we want to give you a first crack at trying it right it's interesting uh, you mentioned Brita and you know one of the things I'm, I'm curious to know is the enablement of re replenishment through the early on um, uh, Amazon buttons right and how will that evolve uh, as there is a uh, ongoing application of connected home smart devices smart toothbrushes things that are pinging out messages and where does replenium play uh or replenishment more broadly play in the evolution of smart home 5g you know pinging technology absolutely I, yeah i love that and that's something we're super excited about yeah um quick on the dash buttons you know obviously they're gone now they don't do the actual dash buttons you know like they did right. uh the of yesteryear but you know what they were they were training they were training mechanisms for folks yeah. Right. They taught the consumer that you could press a button and get a product. Right. And, you know, they were, they probably had mixed success, but Amazon learned a lot during that. And the, and the customer learned a lot during that. And, you know, as we fast forward now to a world of IOT, like you yeah. said, Wayne, where you've got yeah. demand signals, you know, being generated from everywhere. 
those demand signals have to go somewhere, right? And if the demand signal just goes into a cart, um, you know, they're hard to manage. And we have within auto replenishment, we have a, we have a capability called a replenishment queue. And you can go in and look at your replenishment queue at any time. And you'll see from tomorrow out as far as you want to look in the future, what your scheduled replenishments are for products across your home. Those products can get into that queue in any of a number of ways, right? You, they can get into that queue because you click on it on a website. They can get into that queue automatically because they're just due to upcome again, you know, from the, from the retailer. They can get put into that queue through voice. They can get put into that queue through app. Um, they can get put into that queue uh, through, you know, your, your, your local uh, or your, your appliance, you know, saying it's time to replace something, right? right. So your, your smart light could, could know that its bulb is due to be replaced in however long, or your refrigerator should know that its water filter is due to be replaced uh, at a certain time. Right. And those demand signals can just put the products into your replenishment queue so that you as a shopper can see them and then you can manage them, right? You can push them out, you can swap to a different product, um, you know, and, the, and the, uh, the platform allows you to manage that, you know, kind of super effectively with very little thought. And that is a technology application that Replenium has today as, yeah. a, as a hub. Absolutely. As a hub. Yes. Right. And is that, is that hub something that I would use as a home consumer or is that something that the retailer like, how would that work in my home? That's a great question. Um, you, you as a customer would own your queue, right? So, you know, the, the queue was, was generated for you um, in a lot of cases by you, um, right? So that's your, your queue. The retailer can see that, right? The retailer can see your queue, the aggregation of all of its customers' queues together, um, which is great for the retailer because it helps them plan, it helps them market better, it helps them plan labor, inventory, kind of all that. Um, so there's a lot of benefit uh, to the retailer in doing that. But we think it's really key that you as a shopper are in control of that data, right? The retailer will have lots of rights of things they can do with it, of course, and, and brands will as well, but they need to use it to your benefit, right, to provide you as a, as a shopper real benefit. And what we want is you to own that data. Do you have control of that data so that you can leverage that queue, you know, to best serve you. And if we do that right, if we really think and obsess over the customer, then I think the whole rest of the capability will, will take care of itself, yeah. whether I'm a customer, retailer, or brand. You know, Tom, I mean, the, the technology is rapidly uh, evolving. And I think coming out of uh, you know, our current situation with the coronavirus crisis uh, in the rate of innovation uh, will will significantly uh, change. But uh, in a recent conversation, it's not so much about innovation, it's about expectation. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the things you're talking about is putting the power of that expectation into the consumer's hand. So uh, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I have one last question, and I, and I know, Tom, you're involved with a lot of different uh conversations with a lot of different people across the, the industry and and i appreciate the, the the conversation about auto replenishment and replenium but what what else are you seeing what else what are some of the other opportunities innovations out there that uh maybe the average person doesn't know about yet today what can we right. expect six months 12 months two years from now what's what's next you know it's it You've heard people say, and I totally, and, and some of them were quoting me, but, you know, we had always said that e-commerce would reach 20% of grocery retail and other retail faster by 2023. 
And clearly, we've accelerated in the very recent term past that. Now, we may settle back down to something lower, of course. But what's happened is we've had this big shock to the system. And I think a real kind of realization and level of clarity uh, uh, to folks in the industry, but also to customers, right? Customers are living where they're going in trying to get an order slot uh, for an e-commerce order, and they've got to wait two weeks, right? Or customers of Amazon getting turned away. Yep. Uh, because they hadn't bought you know, maybe grocery from them in the past, yep. right? So we're at a time now where there's been just this massive shock uh, to the system. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm on uh, boards of everything from retailers to retail real estate to technology, yep. um, and uh, as well as equity, of course. And uh, I've had a lot of opportunity to talk to a bunch of retail leadership uh, recently, retailer more so than the brand side. And, you know, obviously there's a bunch of anxiety there. And I think the work that retailers have done to keep their shoppers safe and to keep their employees safe has just been literally heroic. Um, But retailers are starting to look forward and saying, like, what's what's next, right? What's coming down? What am I going to need to do? And it really, I mean, this could be another whole half hour conversation because it, it... we're seeing that there's that the model has been so shaken and we look forward to where the model could be and it impacts everything from you know manufacturer and retailer relationships to you know sourcing and supply chain design yeah. to store labor right what are the skill sets that yeah. we'll need what's the amount of labor we'll need in the store right what are the pay rates of those because they're probably going to be higher yeah. how are we going to design the next wave of work what work will sit in the store yeah. right is it going to be more about knowledge workers you know, versus folks just pushing stuff around. Yeah. Um, you know, worker and customer safety is going to be is going to be you know is going to be super important. Will store formats evolve? Right. I mean, obviously, you see all the innovation Amazon's doing in store formats, and you see others innovating and doing things around you know micro fulfillment and all that. Right. So, how will yeah. that change what the retail footprint looks like? Yeah. Um, you know, e-commerce and digital clearly going to become a bigger part of the equation and with that comes a historically larger cost structure so how do we lower that right through you know different types of inventory management fulfillment partnerships uh those kinds of things um yeah so you know it it, i I don't think that there's any component of how we go to market that is not being examined right now and that we're not looking at with with a sense of urgency but not a freaked out urgency i think it's an urgency like okay well we have to do this we see this we're living it right now and we don't want to keep living this so we need to fix it and then also i think there's something to be said for you know we're all at home now and when you're not traveling when you're not home behind the billboard (laughs) (laughs) nice yes but you know when you're not walking from meeting to meeting and you don't have all the kind of the side you know i think people just have a little bit more time to think you don't need a lot more time to think, but even just with that little bit more time to think, yeah. I feel like, and from what I'm gathering in my discussions, is people aren't afraid to look forward now and really think about what might be next. So yeah. again, there's so many ways that yeah. things are gonna are, yeah. are going to evolve, yeah. you know. And 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 we look at our venture firm, you know, we're we we've always had that eye out to the future, um, and we're pretty excited. You know, I think it's obviously going to be a tough 2020, um, yeah. but we're pretty excited about what the future holds and the ability to see new types of collaborations, new type of relationships between brands and retailers and partners, yeah. um, you know, in a, in a new exciting way to serve the customer, to yeah. serve the customer. Yeah, Tom, that's great. Just one thing that is intriguing to me is the whole concept of these dark stores, right? Local community-based yeah. big box retailers that are 
becoming either central warehouses for local delivery or, you know, retailers that are becoming commercial kitchens mm-hmm. for food service delivery. I mean, that's a very interesting dynamic, the convergence of those stores to different purposes in different roles. And the economics, yeah. You know, they have the advantage of good locations generally, right? So they built the store there in the first place or the plaza there in the first place because there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a, a good number of people with the right demographics around close to it. Originally, the stores were built as a place for people to go to discover and get stuff. Yeah. Um, as, the, as discovery and actually getting stuff evolves, right, the role of the store changes and then the role of the plaza can change. Um, and, you know, whether it's a dark store, whether it's, you know, an independent uh, micro-fulfillment node, right, whether it's consolidation point for local delivery or local pickup, um, you know, I think we're going to see a, an interesting evolution yeah. of, you know, this kind of retail space and distribution space. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure that this was before our time, but I'm sure that 40, 50 years ago, uh, 60 years ago, when bigger box stores were originally being conceived, right, there was a lot of thought between what went on the sales floor versus what was in the back room. And really, we're just kind of, we're just kind of changing that, you know, dynamic. And it might not only be within the walls of an existing store, it might cross, cross stores um, and whatnot. But, yeah. you know, whether it's, yeah, whether it's central kitchen, whether it's central types of work, whether it's inventory movement, I think we're going to, you know, there's lots of opportunity for new uses of real estate and new uses of technology and partnerships and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, Tom, uh, it was really great having a chance to talk to you. Uh, I know you bring a lot of insight and experience and thought leadership to the table and uh, have really learned uh, and appreciate learning more about auto replenishment and replenium. I think it's very timely. And uh, I very much appreciate you sharing with me that conversation. And uh, maybe in the future, we can get on one of these again and uh, have another wrap session about some other topic uh, as it relates to the retail CPG landscape. Because it is fascinating. It changes every day. And uh, that's what really motivates me and gets me up every morning. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I, appreci- I appreciate your time. And uh, we'll see you again soon. And stay safe. Thank you, Wayne. I I really appreciate it. And uh, stay safe, everyone. Okay. Take care. You too.